Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the Tip of the Spear Leadership Podcast. Today is going to be a really good episode. It's his first time doing a podcast, and I've been looking forward to this for quite some time. We're going to welcome Mr. Ed Glassman to the Tip of the Spear Leadership Podcast. Ed, thanks for joining us. Mike, thank you very much for having me. It's an honor and privilege to sit and discuss my career and the importance of leadership in the fire service today. Excellent. Give us a quick, uh, just a quick introduction down and dirty of uh, some of your, your your experience, your time in the department, you know, kind of where you started and all that. And uh, for the listeners who may not know who you are. Okay. So I have a really uh, interesting and unique background. I started in the fire service literally when I was in diapers. Um, I grew up in a firehouse because my father was a volunteer and a career firefighter. And when I was old enough, I joined the fire department at 18. Um, from that, I got my EMT and I started in EMS. I did two years in EMS while I was a volunteer firefighter. Then I got hired in the city of Camden as a police officer. I spent five years as a police officer, and then I got hired by the fire department. I spent 30 years on the fire department. Uh, and so that's my background. The city of Camden, as you may or may not know, uh, has gotten better in previous years. However, when I started, it was considered for many years as the most dangerous uh, city in, in America and the most underprivileged uh, the average income was around $10,000. So it's a very challenged city. And the, uh, the employees are confronted with some unique challenges to handle that inner city environment. And so I retired from there in June of 2020. I went to FEMA for about a little over a year. And then my present position, I'm the fire chief in Upper Moreland Township, Pennsylvania, which is about five miles north of the city of Philadelphia. It's a town of about 38,000 people, and I oversee a combination department here in Upper Moreland Township. And that's my background. No, no, that's good. That's, um, I mean, you have, you have a lot, a lot of uh, experience to tap into. And uh, Bobby Ecker wanted me to ask you about, uh, you had a unique nickname that I, he thought everybody would get a bit of a kick out of. Um, he said your, your nickname was the Terminator. Well, that's an interesting comment. That goes back to my police department days. You know, you don't have to get into the crazy details. I think yeah, everyone's so, kind of put a few yeah. things together, but uh, yeah, that just... goes way back into the eighties. It was the whole <laughs> shades looking like kind of yeah. sort of thing we called a Fort Apache back in the day. North Camden, you know, there was literally over three thousand vacant homes at, at one point in the city of Camden, and you know. It, it was it was a struggle. There could be on any given day, there's 80,000 residents and there could be five or six police officers running the whole city. So it wasn't a pretty situation. But sure. uh, yeah, you're going wave. There might be pictures of that out there somewhere if you had to look. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure we could dig them up. That's that's pretty funny. So we'll get we'll uh, we'll get into what we're here for today. Um, today, we're going to be talking about leadership, education and, uh, you know, how you have to be ready to promote, you have to be ready to lead, or excuse me, how you have to be ready to lead, not just ready to promote. And that takes a lot of legwork on beforehand. I've talked about this topic uh, in bits and pieces. And something I've been kind of saying a lot lately is, you know, you need to be prepared to lead, not promote. So we'll get started. And uh, what do you think today's officers are lack, company officers are lacking? And uh, what do we do to change that? Well, I'll tell you, there's a couple things. One, 
it's a it's a two sided coin, right? What are they lacking? Experience on the fire ground, and it's not their fault. Sure, you know, back in what we call the day, um, there were a lot more fires, a lot more incidents, so you gained valuable street experience a lot quicker than you do today. Uh, you know, with the advent of smoke detectors and alarm systems, fires are getting detected earlier and reported will arriving quicker and you know, you might have a mattress or a room, not a whole house. So I think the way to do that, you know, to offset that, that requires more training and real training, you know, not what I'll call paper training. You have to get out there. You have to look at roll down doors. You have to look at different roof types. Are we going to double hop? Are we going to raise a 35 different hose stretches? And you have to get out there and practice. You can't just talk about it. You have to get the tools off the rig and you have to practice. And I would say that is the big difference and that is what we have to do. The interesting part that I would say, uh, you know, back in the day, again, the fire service was not good at training future leaders, right? When I came on the fire department, you couldn't find a leadership class if you wanted to. There was plenty of firematic classes and forcible entry classes and whatever, but leadership classes were were difficult to come by. It wasn't a topic that we really taught in the fire service. We were good at passing along knowledge, but not leadership knowledge. Um, in fact, many officers discouraged teaching firefighters what their job was because there was always this fear that they were going to take their job or, you know, somehow do something to impact their being. So we were not good. I think the fire service has gotten a lot better recently. I think the younger generation demands more from the senior generation than we did in my era. I think they come loaded with a lot of questions, right? <laughs> Anymore, you can't just tell somebody to do something. You have to, they're going to want to know why and explain and all kinds sure. of crazy things. So I think we, we have evolved, but we have a lot of work to do. Sure. And, you know, a lot of that's always going to be um, a two-way street. Like you have to, you have to be coachable, right? The younger guys, they need to be coachable for the, um, I don't want to call it, I don't want to say the old guys, but like the seasoned guys, like if they put the work and the effort into you and you clearly aren't paying attention, you're messing around on your phone or whatever it is, you just show just a general lack of um, attention they're not going to want to teach you. So you have to come in prepared to be coachable. You have to take the initiative. They shouldn't have to chase you down to teach you things and you should be ready to go and wanting to work. I mean, it's definitely a two-way street and or, and the, the second part of the two-way street, excuse me, is them knowing that, you know, you're not going to lose your job just because you're teaching these guys things. But in reality, you're not always going to be there. So you shouldn't even worry about your job being taken or not, in my opinion, because somebody taught them right? They learn somehow. I mean, a lot of it's going to be on the call on calls and on the fire ground and that kind of stuff as well. But, you know, something that I think about is me personally, is how difficult things were for me as an officer and are for me as an officer. And a lot of it is for me, just trial and error and just failing, falling, fail, yeah, failing and falling flat on my face time and time again, which isn't much fun, but I mean, I'm learning along the way, but I also have mentors, you know, that whole have a mentor, be a mentor thing to me is um, definitely 
definitely important. You know, what do you think about that? So I think mentors is huge. I think you have to peel it apart, right? So any anything relative to emergency incidents, you should be up to speed because you should constantly be in the books. You should constantly be training. I used to tell people I'd rather go to a thousand fires than deal with one serious personnel issue because yeah. fires and incidents, you know, there shouldn't be a lot that happens when when you go to an incident. It shouldn't surprise you because your knowledge and skills and abilities should should put you on the right course. But people can go anywhere. You have no idea what's running through somebody's mind when you bring them in. And the other thing you generally have to realize, when you deal with people, a lot of it isn't time sensitive, right? Like most personnel issues don't crop up like it's on your desk and I have to deal with this right here, right now. You can always, generally speaking, take two minutes, five minutes a day and seek some advice. Don't be in a rush to do something or say something that you can't back out of. If you, you know, just get advice. That's my best advice is to get advice from other people. Find somebody who has been down that road. Get some background on the person you're dealing with. Why is there an issue? Was it a previous supervisor that can give you some information? His friend? Is he going through a divorce? Who the heck knows what's going on in people's life? So just just take your time with subordinates. That's all I'm going to say. Take your time. There's a lot of moving parts and it might not be what it appears like on the surface. Sure. And there's always the human element, you know, that that's just going to happen regardless of um, what department you're in, how busy you are and all that. And, you know, the fire doesn't have that, right? Fire doesn't have a wife and kids. Once it's out, it's out and it's over, you know, but whereas people, you know, you're going to have that guy that, is going to remember something you said five years ago and now you're supervising him and he still hasn't forgot what you said. And that can play a huge role into it. Um, so the other thing that we talked about as well before we started recording and uh, it was uh, one of the things that we were talking about was the difference between leaders and managers. And one thing that you said that was very, very intelligent and really stuck out to me was as we get into higher ranks and away from company operations, leadership takes unique challenges and changes. It does not stay at deploying hose lines and raising ladders. It's a very um, wise statement. Let's talk about that. Sure. So, and and I only know that because I traveled that road, right? So when sure. you make, we'll call a first level supervisor, lieutenant, captain, whatever your department or agency calls it, you know, your general interaction every day is making sure when you pull up on an incident, you can make water come out of the hose line and, and handle the incident and raising ladders and all them company functions, right? Force and entry. They're the things that you're working with on a daily basis. And that's pretty much what your whole world evolves around. When you get promoted to a chief officer, you although you oversee them operations, you have other administrative functions. Right. And so you might do company level training and you oversee it and you make sure that the company level officer is training his people so that they're proficient. But you're also managing things from administrative functions. You're approving leave time. You might be attending uh, community meetings, other functions that come into play at, at a battalion chief or deputy chief's level. And then in my case, when you go to deputy chief, very seldom was I actively involved in training with deploying hose lines and raising portable ladders because, uh, you know, you're covering 
you know, all kinds of meetings. You're setting up, facilitating training. You're making assignments for people to attend training. Um, you know, there's just a whole lot. It becomes a different fire department. Your interaction, very seldom did I sit at the kitchen table and, you know, have interaction with the troops at the deputy chief level because you were just busy doing other things. Not that you didn't want to. The job was just different. It wasn't, you know, preparing the meal with the guys in the kitchen. So it definitely changes uh, and it, it definitely has an impact on what you're doing on a daily basis. So your skill set has to stay up to, to speed and, and evolve as you go up the ranks. Yeah, and you know, the one thing that I do see lacking a lot, well, not lacking a lot, but the one thing I see it's kind of missed is transparency as, as that, um, as you go up. Right. And by transparency, I mean communication and you would know this better than me and please elaborate on it. The higher people get in ranks, the more important I think communication is from them. Right. So I'm not saying that like you need as a deputy chief or the chief of the department, you need to be out every single day and shaking hands and high fiving and all that. I'm not saying that at all. However, there does need to be some type of um, maybe not predictable. Predictable might, might not be the right word, but they need to know how you're going to communicate with them at the station level, whether it's, you know, station visits on Fridays or, you make a quick video that gets played on screens in the firehouses, state, you know, department wide or whatever it is, as long as there's clear communication from those ranks, I think that's going to always help because I've seen, um, where there is no communication and when there's no communication, nobody knows what's going on. There's no direction. There's no clear, concise mission. When all that's lacking, people are just going to make up their own thing. They're going to be like, well, I don't know what the truth is, or they may not know what the truth is or the reality is. So inevitably they're going to kind of make up their own reality. And that's something that you can battle by or not battle. You can, um, you can, I don't know how to say it, uh, temper by staying in communication. And that's one of the biggest things that I see lacking is the ranks go higher. There's less and less of it. What do you think about communication as you go higher in the ranks? Cause I, I, I got to tell you, I'm not saying from any particular department, all I'm saying is in my experiences, I've seen that and I've seen how it's created headaches um, throughout the department and affects morale. Well, listen, and I've experienced it as well. And I think it is a very serious and important issue. And it doesn't matter who the boss is, the people down in the grass want to see and hear from you. And I would say that it's always good. I try to, if not daily, let's just say regularly get down and see what's going in the street. You need to get out to the minor incidents and see what's happening. You need to come in at different hours of the day. If your work hours eight to four, that doesn't mean that you don't show up on a Saturday afternoon to do them visits that you're talking about. I think you have to communicate on several different levels now, you know, through emails, through, you know, memorandums through visits. I think it's all very important. And it it is a problem when people become disconnected with, you know, the boots on the street, if we, if you will, right? right. Like, cause nothing really matters except the people that are going and handling the incident. Cause you could be the best chief on the planet, but if the members that are handling the incident 
are not getting the message and getting what they need to get things done, that's going to be a problem for the organization. So I think it's all very important to stay in touch with the people that are handling the incidents. And we and listen, we've all seen uh, leaders that came completely disconnected from what's happening in the agency for one reason or another. So, you know, I guess my best advice would be is just, you know, it's been said a million times before me, don't forget where you came from, right? We've all heard that saying. And there's no simple solution to it other than to take time for your people and visit them in a comfort zone where they can talk to you. Give them the ability to say what needs to be said. Sometimes you might not necessarily want to hear it, but sometimes things need to be said. And you have to afford them the ability to make that happen without disrespecting your rank. Sure. And, you know, I mean, at least my personal uh, observations is I've heard a lot where people are like, oh, well, this guy forgot where he came from. He's not one of us anymore. He forgot where he started. He's doing, you know, he's doing terrible. They're doing this. They're doing that. And the more I listen to people, I'm like, well, is it an exaggeration? Or have those chiefs and people that they're talking about, have they done anything to defend themselves or been present enough for them to give them the other option of, oh, well, he hasn't forgot where he came from, but, you know, X, Y, and Z goes on. These things are out of their control, this, that, or the other. Because either way, you know as well as I do that the chiefs, the deputy chiefs and all that, you're going to get a brunt of everything because people may or may not realize you can't just wave a magic wand to fix all the problems. It doesn't happen. That's not how it works, right? But if they have nothing else to go by, they don't have anything else by your actions, your words, specifically your actions. If they don't have anything else to go off of to know that you're you know, doing X, Y, and Z to combat this problem, X, Y, and Z to combat that problem. And the biggest thing is acknowledging the problems. Like these are the problems that we face in the department. Systematically, we're going to start here. This is our goal. This is what we hope is a timeline. And this is how we're going to get there. When you don't add in any of that, like I said before, people are just going to make up whatever they want, or they're going to think whatever they want, or they're just going to make assumptions. And that's just human nature. That goes back to the whole, you know, I'd rather go on 10 fires than deal with one personnel problem. You know, like it's just how it works. Human nature is human nature. And that's the biggest thing is, you should be present in the moment so people can't make assumptions over what's happening. Well, I hear what you're saying, and, I, and I'm good for peeling things apart, right? Sure. Let, let's peel this apart a little bit because that's why we're here, right? Yeah, absolutely. So, Please do. Take a guy who's a fire chief, right? And he signed up. He didn't sign up and take the test and be the fire chief day one, right? Sure. He was a firefighter. So let's think about the skill set that it takes to be the firefighter. You got to come to work. You got to train. You got to know how to deploy hose lines. You're somewhat familiar with that. You make company officer. You make battalion chief. As you start to go up the ranks, what I talked about earlier, the skill set changes. When you're a firefighter, you never typed a memo. Sure. That wasn't generally something that you did. You didn't prepare the budget. You didn't set up training. And that person might have been an awesome firefighter. You know, they say, oh, he's a great firefighter. He does this. He does that. As you go up through the ranks, that training that we talked about earlier absolutely has to change. It has to change yeah. because there's a different skill set that's required to be the fire chief 
than is required to be the firefighter. Sure. And what did we do as, you know, as a person, as an agency, and collectively as as the fire service? What what type of demands are we putting on our people? You know, and as we aspire, you know, we're into our books and we're studying, we're reading John Norman and Vinnie Dunn. And we read what we like to read, not what we have to read, right? What you need to nobody read, yeah. Wants, yeah. Nobody wants to pick up and read that. I always giggle and laugh. It's uh, legal practices in the fire service. Nobody wants to read that. Sure. It's horrible. It's painful, right? Sure. Like watching paint dry. So, you know, we're firefighters and we lose sight of that. And, you know, there's people, that, and and I was guilty of it. When I made deputy chief, I didn't have any advanced degree. It, it took a young guy shaking my tree one day, Gabe and Jemmy. He's a great dude. I, I got like my life to, to send out to thank him. He's the one that inspired, encouraged me to finish my college degree. I started getting some education when I was young and my parents went through a divorce and I ended up stopping and when I got back and graduated, I went to Newman University. We went over there and seen Dr. Donnelly, and she got us enrolled, and she does a great job with the public safety program where I now teach. I would have never – I had no idea what I was getting into. I got to be honest with sure. you. When I noted as a deputy chief, I was going to meetings, looking around, sitting in the meeting with engineers, attorneys, politicians, and I'm thinking – I have to somehow come up to their level so they take what I'm saying seriously. I have to change my game. I'm no longer deploying hose lines and raising ladders. I have to educate myself to this position. So that's kind of what inspired me to to go to college. And it is different. You know, when I came on, you know, the guys with college degrees were, uh, they're the college boys. Don't mess with them. You know, as a fire service, again, we weren't good. But when I started, we had a lot of Vietnam era people. You know, they went to the University of South Vietnam. It was a thing back then. And, you know, they had a great background. I'm not questioning what they did. Don't get me wrong. Sure. I'm just saying as you climb through the ranks and the expectations of the job change, if you don't evolve and change and meet the needs of what you need to do to, to do that job, Shame on you and shame for the organization is what I would say. Sure. And you have to be in touch and prepare yourself for the job because we always talk about, you know, being leaders. We generally talk about the company officer person, not necessarily the fire chief because it is way different. Right. Way different job. Yeah. And, you know, the other thing, too, is and this is kind of something that I was just thinking about as you were talking was, you know, there's so many people out there that say, you know, always be a, you know, you're a student of the fire service, right? Always, you're, once you think you're done learning what you need to learn, then it's time for you to leave, I think is kind of the most popular um, phrase. But that needs to go both ways. I mean, as an officer, which is kind of what I gear this to and what I want it to be geared to. And, you know, everybody loves fire stories, which, you know, I'm sure you have a few and I want to get into those later. There is a big, big, um, or there is a huge importance on higher education. Higher education is something that needs to evolve as you evolve and you have to be educated. Like on the job training can only take you so far. I think in my opinion, my experience on the job training can only take you so far. And, you know, I know this is something that's very important to you. So please elaborate on the, uh, the importance of higher education. And we talked a little bit, but I think there's a few other things you wanted to get into. 
So, yeah, I think, like I said, you know, just a, a second ago, I, I kind of got into higher education by accident with Gabe and Germany. And mm-hmm. honestly, when we went to Newman, I really didn't know what I was getting into, what I was looking for. But I knew in my position, I was no longer a firefighter stretching hose lines. I was operating at a different level. And that's, you know, that's not taking a shot at a firefighter. It was just a different position that I had promoted into. Sure. You know, we, we go through oral assessment and they ask you about subordinate interviews and development programs. And we did all that. So, you know, Gabe and I sat with Dr. Donnelly. And like I said earlier, she did a great job in giving us vision and direction. And she talked about the importance, you know, of finishing your degree and what it meant to the fire service. And, you know, on that particular day, I didn't realize, looking back, the importance that it would have and the impact that it would have on my life moving forward. And, you know... Once I finished Newman, I ended up going on to uh, Fairleigh Dickinson and finishing my master's degree. And I went with my son, who's actually a police officer. And he's like, Dad, I don't need my master's degree. I said, well, you don't need your master's degree until you're sitting in your police car and somebody runs into the back of you and blows out your back and you're no longer a police officer. Right. You always have to be prepared. And we tell our firefighters, you need to be prepared. Right. Get out there and train every day. Do this, do that. Why do we not tell our chief officers, whatever the rank is? You need to be prepared to be a chief officer. Yeah. And it doesn't mean deploying a hose line. Yeah. So I think uh, Newman University did and does a wonderful job with their public safety program. They have a program that I teach there. So I guess I'm kind of biased. I teach two classes. Sure. One of the books near and dear to my heart that I, when I started into the leadership program, uh, Dr. Donnelly's father, Gary Appleby, is a retired deputy chief. It's literally in my hand right now. I reference it all the time. Uh, 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 this year for Christmas, I bought my guys the book. I said, you guys need to look at this book. It's a firefighter-friendly book. It's like 210 pages. Um, it just talks about the values of being a boss in the fire service. And Chief Appleby's got 40 years in the Philadelphia fire department. So he, he has a reputation that is impeccable. So I use that book regularly. I reference it. I gave it to my members. I think it tells you and sets you apart. It's an easy read. We need to get ourselves educated in more ways than going to fires and other incidents because we're out there on a daily basis and we're the voice of the fire service. Um, people expect more of us now. We're professionals. We want to be professionals. We need to act and educate ourselves as professionals and be able to project a good positive image to the community. I think it's very, very important. I agree. And, you know, I'm trying to think of how to say this. So there's a lot of things out there, especially on social media, um, Instagram and stuff. You may or may not have heard of Instagram. I'm just kidding. Um, I know you're new to it. and working through it um but there's a lot of pages on there that talk about strength of body strength of mind and i think you do need to have a and there's that old joke of um you know especially guys on a ladder truck you know strong backs weak minds well in the modern fire service my personal opinion through observation is you have to train your brain you need to be intelligent you need to be able to think on your feet 
beyond the level of what you learn in the firehouse. And the reason why I draw that parallel is, I, and I've watched somebody that I work with, probably one of the smartest guys I've ever met in my entire life. This guy is freaking razor sharp. And he's educated, reads, he has a bachelor's. And what I've noticed is as things come up in the firehouse, whether they're a personnel thing, um, like, you know, just stuff in the department we hear about or in the fire department in general that we hear about, you know, whichever way. I'm not saying any one department. Whether it's calls, whether it's, you know, how people are physically acting and their interactions with officers and others. He always has some type of answer. And he has that answer because he's bringing up stuff that he's read, a class that he took, stuff that he's read because of the classes that he took. And it was very, very, very interesting to me how it's like, well, wait a minute. You can go sit there and ride a fire truck for 30 years and be dumb as a box of rocks. But if you put in the effort to take that advanced or not advanced higher level of education, all that education is going to come right back to helping you day in, day out with those very small and minor things that you probably would have never drawn parallel. Like if you were to take a public safety education class and do all the readings and all the stuff that you learn from the instructor and, and all that stuff, you may never think it's going to translate into riding on a ladder truck or a fire engine, but it does because the easiest thing you can do at work is ride the fire truck, go on calls, all that extra stuff, all that extra, the extra things in the firehouse and interacting with people and interacting with each other and, and, and dealing with tasks at hand that come up on a day-to-day -day basis. You have to have, your mind has to be able to operate beyond just the calls. You know what I mean? Does that make sense what I'm saying? It makes sense. You know, like 100% it makes sense because we're, we're a different fire service. What sure. I said earlier, right? Sure. Like fires, generally speaking, we'll call it, are down a lot. We do so many other things. I keep trying to impress upon that to my elected officials in my present township. You know, that's just the fire department. No, it's not just the fire department. And every month in my monthly report, I say to the guys, guys, you are out there. You're on the front line. You're taking pictures. What are you doing? Give them to me. I need them in the monthly report. Yeah. Christmas morning at 3.30 in the morning, our, our engine company was sent for a water flow alarm at a high school. There was a broken pipe. Water was pouring out all over the place. I put three pictures of my guys up in a high lift stopping the water leak. They stopped thousands of dollars in damage to the high school at 3.30 Christmas morning. Nobody thinks the fire department's doing that. So they don't know what they don't know. And it's our responsibility to look at things, know what to do with them and use them appropriately to help the agency and the organization. The other thing that I would like to say, and I call it the Rubik's Cube view, like ask it a question and keep turning it and get a different view. Get different people's opinions on items because different people see different things. And I think having a diverse group of people to help you sometimes in decision making, although on the surface you're scratching your head, it really is important because different people see things differently. And every now and then somebody will crop up with a different opinion and and you know, you didn't even you didn't even realize sure. you're like, wow, why didn't I even see that? I would have never thought of a, that. Yeah. Right. It just gives you a different level of thinking. And the most recent scenario I would use for that. So here I wear the emergency management hat as well. We're having this big festival this weekend and they're just very concerned about all the activity in Philadelphia and gang activity of them pushing up here. 
And the police lieutenant said, you know, what they need to do is change this and take down these big kid rides Mm -hmm. that are there on the carnival and make it little kids rides and try and attract a younger population, not the teenage population. And maybe the teenagers won't come around and start trouble. And I honestly wasn't even really thinking about it until it was kind of thrown out there. But I'm thinking just another perfect example of somebody looking at something just and seeing the same thing, but having a different opinion. Right. Right. And, you know, the other thing about that is perspective. And I think perspective will make a big difference, too, because perspective comes from your experience. Right. So the way the way you look at something and a situation would be the way would be much different than the way I do it. Right. So we could give we could come up with a simple scenario, whatever it is. And you with over 40 years is going to skin that cat way different than me with only 16. You know what I mean? Because there's life experience, fire department experience, call experience, education, um, just being around life experience is one of the most underrated, but biggest impacts. I think there are in just in general when it comes to the fire department and then in, you know, just humanity. So, I mean, this is just me tapping to my experience, you know, how I thought about things and how I viewed the world when I got hired when I was 19, 20, whatever it was, is much different looking back on it in my thirties. You know what I mean? Like way, way different. Your priorities are different. I mean, everything is different. Yep. And it, yep. And that changes as you go up in ranks as as much. Somebody was recently reminded me of a story. He's a dear friend of mine and he was the battalion chief. He said, you remember this night, blah, 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 you knuckleheads. And he's going on just giving me a hard time. You guys almost got killed. I said, well, I was just a firefighter. I wasn't even the captain. And, you know, and he was saying out of the building, out of the building, out of the building. And I'm like, all right, the captain, whatever, the captain, whatever. Mm-hmm. And we come out and literally 30 seconds later, the whole place went down to the ground. It's one of the ones you just look up and go, whoa, man, like, whoa, man. <laughs> so, but I was a firefighter. You're, you're, you look at things differently than a battalion chief because he's looking at the building going, okay, I got 15 guys in there and I don't want to have to sleep on something uncomfortable. Sure. You know, and that's probably one of the diff- most difficult decisions a chief officer has to make because it's always give me a minute, give me 90 seconds, give me two minutes. Nobody ever wants to be the one to say that's it, game over, right? Because right. it, it sometimes... That's why I like it when it's an easy decision, right? There's fire coming out every nook and cranny. This is an easy decision. It's the ones that you're struggling with, but you have that gut feeling saying I, something's just not sure. right. Yeah. I mean, you have to listen to your gut. And, you know, that's the other part of – I mean, it's a good example. That's the other part of uh, maturity and life experience too, right? So in my 30s and me being able to say – Hey, we're pulling out right now. No, no, we got it. We're good. No, get out right now. And then we go out and I was wrong. Hey, why'd you pull us out? We could have done this. What Another company put the fire out because you said it wasn't safe for us or we needed to back out. Yeah, well, you know what? We're all here and we can write that That's one it. off. No big deal. And I don't care if you don't like it. You don't like it or not. It, not that I would have the issue with the guys I work with. I'm just saying that's a generalized statement. In my 30s, I don't give a shit. You don't like it too bad. I made the decision. We're all here. Oh, well. It is what it is. There'll be more fires. But when I was in my 20s and I was a teenager and when I started volunteering, I was that way. No, I'm not backing out. Cowards do that. I'm not doing that. You, you know what I mean? Or I would have been, when I got promoted in my 20s, I was 20, 
eight, 29, 29. I would have been afraid to make that decision. Oh, because I, I was still thinking like a firefighter. I wasn't thinking like an officer. I wasn't, I didn't have that life experience or that uh, we'll call it, actually, it's not experience. Well, it is experience, but I didn't have that wisdom and that worldly experience to know decisions need to be made. I'm making the decision and I'll deal with the consequences later because I made it on an informed reason with everything I had in front of my in front of my face. And, and that's right. and those are unparalleled things, you, you know. Right. So um, this is a good point to move to our next topic. Uh, how do you think you'd prepare a leadership style slash standards, kind of build your non-negotiables for yourself as an officer um, prior to being promoted with without any experience? I mean, that's a tough one. I know that there's, in my experience, not a lot of places have pipelines to say from day one, you're sitting in recruit school to day, this isn't the right number, 500 or not day 500, whatever. Here's your roadmap from recruit school day one to uh, firehouse, you're a new company officer day one. There is no pipeline. Kind of like in the military, they'll say, you know, boot camp is, you know, day zero, week zero. And then you work all the way up to quote unquote graduation. And they have a whole pipeline, time frame, training, curriculum, standards, tests, everything. Not a lot of fire departments have that. I don't know if any that have that completely written out from the academy to walk into the firehouse your first day. Yeah, that's exactly what I was going to say. Nobody does, but everybody should, right? Sure. And so kind of what I said earlier, as a fire service, we're just probably not good for whatever reason at training our people to, to go to the next level. And I'm not saying that some departments are not doing a good job. I'm just saying, generally speaking, as a fire service. So I would say, how do you prepare yourself? First off, take self-accountability, right? Don't always be looking at John Norman Fire Officer Handbook of Tactics. What is the testing process people are using to get promoted? Are they looking at leadership or management books? Are you looking for a specific style? How do you want to be? What do you want to be? I can tell you I teach leadership and and almost everybody's like, I want to lead by example. I want to, and I'm not saying you shouldn't. I'm just saying in their minds, they have a thought process. They have a start. And I would say a lot of it is going to depend on your education, your training. And most often overlooked is your people because, you know, you could be a certain type of leader or manager, whatever you want to call it, boss. And you could sit there and go, well, there's coaching, there's democratic, autocratic, laissez-faire. I think a big piece of the puzzle is your people and how you're going to supervise them. I, I was lucky enough. The whole time I was a captain seven years, I, I was assigned to rescue one. And actually just in my Newman University class, I had one of the officers from Rescue One. And he said, Chief, I'm so lucky because anybody could ride in my seat. I almost don't have to supervise them. And I said, I know the feeling. Any of my guys at any given time could have been the boss. So I didn't need to be on top of them. In fact, every now and then they would be checking me because they were so well read <laughs> and say, do that. Like, and listen, I'm not offended. You know, sure. if you see it, say it. Because if you don't, you know, it might be a point where we can't go back. So I think, how do you prepare yourself and what is non-negotiable? So the obvious is non-negotiable. Anything that's not ethical, anything that you should not be doing, you need to know. You should always be operating like you're under camera and somebody's watching. Not that I should have to tell you that, right? But there should be a level. There should be a standard. 
I think some agencies do a good job and some do a horrible job at screening and triaging who they bring on to the job. What level of background people are they willing to accept into the profession? So I think the best way to prepare yourself is look at the people you work for. I, I was big on that. I can remember this one guy I worked for. We had this job in North Camden and the place was going off and I jumped off and just grabbed the two and a half. And afterwards, he's like, don't ever pull off the two and a half. It's too heavy. I'm like, what? Excuse me? Well, what about John Norman said reach and penetration, Cap? Yeah. I don't care what John Norman said. It's too heavy. Like, I don't want to deal with that hose line. So on that day, I said, okay, I don't want to be like him, right? So as as much as you develop the style that you want to be, you're also developing the style that you do not want to be. So educate yourself and educate yourself about the people that you have working for you because you're a boss and you know you could go to a different firehouse and look around and go, whoa, I can't operate the way I do with my people. I have to shift gears a little bit and do things differently. So again, I think it comes back to education not as much training, if you will. So yeah. again, the fire service, you can go in any fire academy anywhere in the country and go to all kinds of fire classes all day long if you wanted to. I almost challenge you to find leadership classes at fire academies. They're very difficult to find. Sure. Yeah, and, you know, and that, that's kind of funny because, and, and I always, I say this jokingly, but it's kind of true. I've never been to a fire that didn't go out. Whether yeah. we intervene and put it out, whether it burns the building to the ground and there's nothing left to burn, the fire's eventually going to go out, right? And what I mean by what I'm getting at is here is it, le it goes away from whether the fire will go out or not to the manner in which we handle it, the manner in which we do it, how we do it, how we prepare for it, which is the biggest thing, how we prepare for it. So... It was kind of kind of interesting the way you're talking about bad leaders and 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 that different side that other side of it, and this is a conversation I had recently with somebody where it was, you know, you could be on a good crew like you talked about with your guys. Any one of them could have led at any time. They check you. I have that personally, and I personally enjoy it. It keeps you honest as an officer. I think mm -hmm. I, I think it's incredibly important for the development, um, for us as officers. But what I found is you're not going to get that everywhere, right? Nope. You're not. not, when you have, when you have a good crew like that, where shit just clicks, you have good chemistry. Yeah. I'm not saying you need to finish each other's sentences, but you know, I know right now, if I get on the engine and we get a box, we get a first two house fire, I can turn back and look at who's there and I'll know exactly what I need to say, what I don't need to say. And all I'll do is guide Mm -hmm. maybe confirm like, you know, Hey, basement fire, bring the line over here. I know they know that. However, to me, I just, I like the open communication, the open dialogue. Right. Yep. But you're not going to have that everywhere. And that's a, that was the interesting conversation that we had was it's very interesting when people always have the ability to make opinions, make comments and have something to say about absolutely everything until you're not in the position to have that dependability, relatability, and, um, consistency of good employees, good firefighters, dependable guys, you, you know what I'm saying? And, Absolutely. you know, it, it's I'm trying to think of how to say this, but like you could be really sharp and do really, really well as an officer. And then you could turn around and go to a crew that is not good. And that's where your challenge is going to be as the officer, you know, you, 
you kind of get your sea legs, you start learning, you start working things out, figuring out what works, what's good. And then you got to get out of your comfort zone. You got to leave that environment, not because you need to, not because, you know, you can't learn anything. You're always going to get better and better and better with time. But the real challenge will be when you go from working with sharp people to people that are not at their level. And now you have to, you have to be able to either get them to that level or they need to leave. And, you know, typically people don't do things for a few reasons. Most of it is they don't know how to, they don't want to, or they don't, they weren't taught, which actually that's two of the same, but you know what I'm saying? Yeah. Um, so, you know, it, it just, it's very interesting how you remove any of those pieces of the pie. And I mean, it could be like a house of cards and it could collapse. But the biggest thing that I've learned, and this is kind of what I've always strived for with a shift is I could be gone for the day and you could put a blow up doll in the front seat and they'll function perfectly fine without issues. They're going to, they're going to handle it. It doesn't matter who's in that front seat. They know what they need to do and they can guide that person if necessary. And that's very, that's a very um, valuable thing to have as a company officer. Right. And I would say that's a testament to that company officer that has his people trained to that level sure. that that can occur because that's not always the case. No, it's not. And that's also part of what we talked about a bit before. Is that bad fun? No, again, <laughs> I'm just kidding. Um, that we talked, <laughs> we talked about before was um, getting them to that level with those non-negotiables because people are typically going to either rise to your expectations or fall to their own. And, you know, I've been fortunate enough to work with very, very sharp people, but there are people out there that are not at that level. And you may, you're going to have to do your job as an officer and it's not going to be fun. And those, those uh, non-negotiables are going to be very, very important. So. Absolutely. And I think as the boss, it's your job to find a way to motivate those people to get them to that level. Yeah. And and some people are just, yeah, I mean, you're going to do unique things to get people to buy in. Trust me, you will do unique things, sure. but they need to understand the unique thing about the fire service is this is a job where you literally might not go home, right? Sure. This isn't pushing papers around on the desk. This is one of them jobs and we talk about it and that's the reality of the matter. And if you don't know what you don't know, it could cost you or your whole company your life. Sure. And your actions have consequences that affect others than just you. That's something that I talk about when I have somebody get turned over to drive. You know, it's not to get off in the weeds. And I tell them this, you know, not to get off in the weeds. But the reality is when you drive this fire truck down the road and you wreck it, this person has kids, this guy's married, that guy's married. Those are the things, that's the reality. Because if something happens, you know what I mean? It can affect others rather than other than just you and all the other people on the you. road. You, you know, and the biggest, you. the biggest example I tell people as well, especially when they're firefighters, and I've had this discussion, not with the guys that I work with, this is just a generalized discussion I've had as an officer of, you know, your actions, inactions, or your inability to do your job can affect me. And the other people in on the fire on the fire floor in the fire room, right? Huge. So huge. You can't pull that hand line. You can't handle the the nozzle. You, I don't know. You can't handle it. You can't do it. So because now you can't do your job, and the room flashes. Well, I mean, do you want to tell my wife and kid that I'm dead because you can't do your job? Do I want to tell your, yep. you know, 
wife, husband, whatever you have. Well, I don't know how to be the officer. I, and I didn't take the time to, you know, get myself together and be squared away. And that's why they're, you know, they got hurt, burned, killed, whatever, because I wasn't able to recognize things that I should know as basic, basic knowledge, you know, and that's the, absolutely, you know, and that's, and that's the biggest thing that I, I push with people, um, especially when I'm new working with them and all that. And, and hopefully they check me as well and, and bring that up to me and, and all that is, you know, as you said, it's not pushing papers around it's life and death, but that's the hardest part for people to realize is your actions affect others and can create a life and death situation from your inaction. Does that make sense absolutely. what I'm saying? Like Absolutely. And I, I would parlay on that. And I do this every single NIOSH line of duty death report that comes out. Take some time and look at them. Those NIOSH reports are packed with incredible information. And it's just very interesting to see how we get to firefighter fatalities, right? And they're all great training and learning opportunities. And they're literally online in a couple of clicks. And you can learn an, an enormous amount of information. And a lot of it, I mean, at least the way I've understood it, and if I'm wrong, please correct me, but it's not often or usually some random catastrophe. It's a breakdown in the basics in the chain of events yeah. that cause the yeah. um, scenario for the line of duty death. I mean, except, except like, you know, slight of like the building collapsing, right? So the other right, thing, that. right, right. The other things all come down to a breakdown of the basics and yeah, and I'm not going to take credit for this assumption. Or I'm not going to take credit for this uh, observation. This was brought to me by a guy I work with. The guy I was talking about earlier who's incredibly intelligent. And this is where the higher education comes back in again because he educates himself and he reads, which is part of what we're going to talk about next, is mm -hmm. there's a study out there that shows the safest part place to be on a house fire is the guy or girl on the hand line, being the nozzle firefighter on the engine. When you're there and around them, that's the safest place you can be. Once you start moving out and getting into floor above, floor below, floor of, all that stuff, that's when the dangers and the issues start happening. But statistically, the person on the line holding the nozzle is the safest place to be. So, you know, it... And I would agree with that. I mean, if you think about it, you know, I didn't know that statistically, but if you think about it, right, they're putting the GPMs on the BTU. So yeah. whatever's going on, they're able to control, you know, unless they're getting overrun like that poor guy in Boston in the basement, he was getting overrun by fire. Sure. But unless that's the scenario, the person on the nozzle, you know, has the most control because they're, they're, they're extinguishing. They have the ability to push the fire back till they get to wherever they have to get out unless something catastrophic. Happens. Sure. Exactly. It's all, it's typically, um, searcher searches or miscommunication, loss of air, you know, all those things are typically, um, what happens. I I've seen, I think it was Cincinnati or maybe it was Cleveland. I don't remember. Um, where the guy on the line was the one killed after he had a lot of hose kinked up in the front. Well, that was the kink at the front door of Cincinnati. Cincinnati, I think, right? okay. Ryan talks about that all the time because he was an engine captain. And when I was in the rescue, I said, guys, 
and and everybody, not wasn't just my rescue guys. It's everybody's responsibility on the fire ground to ensure that the hose line can be moving. Because right. if the hose line's caught up somewhere, that's not the nozzle guy's problem. That's everybody's problem. Because if he's not fighting the fire, it's attacking the structural components. It's spreading. That's impacting the search. That's impacting every other operation. So shame on any firefighter who sees a hose line issue and doesn't stop and bend over to you know, resolve the issue, shall we? Sure. It, well, it takes 30 seconds to grab a kink or kick a kink out, right? Exactly. Or, you know, <clears throat> this happened a lot when I was, when I first got promoted, I worked at a firehouse that had a rescue squad and a ladder truck. That was it. There was no engine company there. And Ooh. we would run and everyone around us had engines. And it was a weird, unique situation. I, I don't know if this is anything that was in writing or I, I don't even know how they would do it. Maybe um, commissioning or something. I don't know. But either way, no one around them had a special service. They never had an engine. And one of the things, which is, it was very unique. So one thing I'd always tell the guys that I work with is, you know, if you see them running these long lines for some of these garden apartments that they run, grab some hose, you know, grab hose as you walk through the front door, you see a kink, kick the kink out. You you know what I mean? I'm not saying, I'm not saying you need to go run over to the back of the wagon or the pump panel of the engine and trace the hose line. No, I'm not saying that at all. But, you know, if you see some, you know, a pile of stuff and, you know, whatever, just grab it, grab a coupling and take it to the door, grab a coupling and walk it till it pulls tight and drop it. You know, it's 30 seconds of your life can have dramatic and lasting effects on the fire ground because, you know, the rescue, the ladder truck squads, none of them are putting the fire out. The only person there to put the fire out is the engine. You know, and and when you break the fire department down into its most bare bone, basic level, it's an engine pulling a hand line, putting out a fire. That's the most basic. Everything else from that job, everything else, the company, the engine officer, the engine driver, the backup man, all those are just support to that firefighter with the hand line, putting the fire out. That's it. 100%. 100%. 100%. Wet stuff on the red stuff, right? It's the first it, day of the fire camp. Exactly. And that's the only way the fire goes out is by ha- that happening. So, you know, the other thing too is, and, and this is why I brought up the line of duty death stuff and, and, you know, again, further education that we've been talking about and it's been kind of a theme. Um, leaders are readers. Well, what's, uh, you've talked about a little bit before. I'm pretty sure it's going to be your answer. Um, what's the one book that you one book or you know type of writing that you've read that you recommend is an absolute number one must read for officers and why? So you you gave me this question and I peeled it apart the two. So sure. on the fire side sure. of things, it's John Chief John Norman's Fire Officer Handbook of Tactics. I call it the Bible. Yeah. It, he it, it literally there there is not a better book on the planet. Nuts and bolts every day. Anything you need to know as a fire officer, you have to know that book inside out. Collapse of Burning Buildings by Vinnie Dunn. You have to know the structures you're going into, right? What's holding them up is going to tell you how much time you're going to, you know, spend inside that building and what that looks like for your operations. And then on a, on a leadership side, it's, it's what I talked about earlier. It's on my desk. I reference it all the time. I use it when I teach at Newman University. It's Deputy Chief Gary Appleby. The, the book is Leadership Values. The awesome part of the book is it's like $20. It's 200 pages. It it can't be any more firefighter friendly than Chief Appleby's book. 
and I gave it to my guys for Christmas. He just talks about his 14 leadership values that made him successful for 40 years. And in my mind, if it makes you successful for 40 years in the Philadelphia Fire Department, it's going to make anybody on this planet successful. Yeah. If you just take his information, you know, and some of the values are like integrity, vision, self-discipline. He talks about how important it is as a fire officer to just have self-discipline. He says he's never seen a good fire officer that didn't have good self-discipline. Honesty, trustworthiness, pride, compassion, loyalty, humility. They're all the things that make great fire officers. So if you're a fire officer and you're listening, pick the book up, read it, and buy it for your guys. Because I'm telling you, it's on my desk and I reference it all the time. I just go back. He has some good personal stories about things that happened through his career. And it's just easy because anything else, I've read them and, I, and, and it's boring and it's not, you know, it gives you a little bit. But that book right there is is about as fire friendly, firefighter friendly as you can get, and it's packed with great information on leadership. You know that book was passed along to me by the guy that I was referencing earlier, and it's it, it's pretty good. I I was very impressed as it's one of those books that once I started reading, I couldn't put down. And <clears throat> you mentioned the guy from Philly. I got a book here. It's called A Firefighter's Journal. 37 yeah. years on the fire grounds yeah. and in the firehouses mm-hmm. of Philadelphia by John yeah. Marichelle. I don't want to say his name wrong. Yeah, you, you got it. Marichelle. Yeah. So they're good friends. Yep. They're very good friends. In fact, at the holidays, they sell the books together. Oh, wow. They have like a package deal. Yeah. I thought about doing the same thing he did with that. And then it came out because I actually kept track of all the calls I went on, just about 10,000 calls for service in my career. And I actually have a journal of all that stuff written down. Really? Then that book came out. Yeah, because I had talked to uh, Dr. Donnelly at Newman about mm-hmm. doing like some ghost writing or something just because I have all this information. And her, she helped her dad do that book. And listen, when it, I was just like, uh, I, you know, it's one of the ones you pick up and you can't put down. Yeah, I'm not, I'm not a giant reader. It's, it's just it had an incredible impact on me. Sure. And that's the, so that's the interesting part. That's why the Firefighter's Journal was so interesting to me because I read it as a firefighter. And I was so attached to it, right? Right. Then, you know, I don't know. It's been 10 years ago. Well, maybe not 10 years ago. When I got, uh, eight years ago, when I got promoted, you know, I was trying to figure out something that like, all right, well, I'm going to read these books. I audio booked a lot, you know, and then it was, it was, there were good books. But then when, you know, the Leadership Values book was put in my hands, I think I read that book in a weekend. Like, it's easy. Oh, it's yeah. really, really easy. It's really, really good. And, you know, I, I love it. I, I, it's, a, it's a great book. So those are two books that I think, uh, well, three books, four books that we mentioned now um, that you guys got to get out there and listen to or read. I think all of them except for Leadership Values. Well, actually, Leadership Values and Firefighters Journal are not audio booked. I tried. <laughs> yeah, I don't listen. I, I was okay. I, like I said, I gave it to my guys for Christmas yeah. and they looked at me and I'm like, listen, just read it. I'm just here for a time, peep a timepiece, yeah. you guys are going to be the bosses here, yeah. right? I'm, I need to get you to a point where you guys can sit in my seat. Uh, literally, by the time I got back from the holidays, the one guy's in my house going, Chief, I, I read that whole book. Holy shit. I'm going to yeah. read it like three more times. <laughs> yeah. Where did you find it? And I'm like, what, did you think I would lead you down a you know a dark alley? You know? Sure. 
And you know, that's the best part about it is, you know, those are good books that, as we talked about earlier with your non-negotiables and what you expect as a leader and what you want as a leader and how you think things should be done as an officer and all that, all that comes from education and reading prior to getting promoted. It also nails down exactly why we talked about and your emphasis on uh, why I wanted your emphasis on um, higher education, you know, and, and that old adage of leaders are readers. It's all yeah. the same stuff. Like you have to educate your brain. And again, these are things that you cannot just learn by running calls. You're going to learn stuff in the firehouse. You're going to learn stuff from the guys that you work with. You're going to learn stuff on the tailboard critiques. You're going to learn stuff in the kitchen table. You know, my firehouse, and I talk about this all the time does not have a day room. Like there is no day room. We don't have recliners. We don't have a TV room. We don't have any of that. We have the kitchen with some rolly chairs and then the back of the wagon and like an education room where it's literally plastic desks and chairs. And that can foster the environment of learning things that you're not going to learn in a book. However, however, and this is where I'm tying it together is it's a balancing act where you have to have that higher education as you go up to be able to bring your, to, to sharpen your mind for that next level, to deal with those other situations that you will inevitably go into, you will have, and are going to be the most difficult in my opinion. That's interesting. Cause when I got to this job that I'm at now in this department, they had, you know, there was a TV in a room with some concrete chairs. I called them. I'm like, we're going to get some nice recliners so you guys can get comfortable. And they're like, for what? I'm like, cause this is, this is where the magic happens, right? This is bonding time. This is learning time. This is reading time. This is downtime. It's all very important to the overall picture. So I was lucky enough to bump into the manager at Walmart and actually he basically gave us $2,000 for me to buy four recliners. So nice. the township manager was like, let me get this right. You got these for free? I said, Yahtzee, you know? <laughs> so No, that's good. And, and it's good. No. Yeah, you couldn't say no. Yeah. I mean, free is always a good number. I, I appreciate yeah. free. Um, <laughs> and the, the one last thing I want to leave with, or the one last thing I wanted to, I wanted to mention before we start closing this out, we're hitting that one hour mark, was the – camaraderie and cohesion that not having that day room builds is absolutely second to none. If you, if you harness the uh, situation and can appreciate it at face value, right? You know, it, there's firehouses out there and places out there, which touches into what we talked about earlier with the people matter, whether your work, your leadership styles are going to work or not. And, you know, there's crews out there that you only see them for meals. If you see them at that, otherwise they're in all separate places, of the firehouse, they're wherever. But the really good crews you will see together all the time. They may not always, you know, necessarily cook breakfast together or cook lunch together, but you'll always see them having breakfast, bre breakfast and lunch together. And that builds into that cohesion, the the chemistry, the camaraderie, the um, uh, what's the big bus? Oh, brotherhood. It builds Ooh. all that is fostered and built in those environments and those moments in the firehouse where you're, where you're all together. And that sharpens that, that fine, that fine edge. It sharpens that edge, those moments and where you could, you know, you can learn things and, and, and sharpen your, your skills by listening to other guys and girls and, and, and those other things um, that they have to teach you that, you know, may not always be that obvious, but will come out in conversation as um, situations develop, if that makes sense to you. 
makes 100% sense that what do they say? The family eats together, stays together. Yeah. It's where all the magic happens in the kitchen. Absolutely. Um, so before we close this out, is there anything else you wanted to touch on that we may have missed or anything like that? Uh, no, I thought it was very good. I think if somebody, you know, the couple things to take away is get yourself educated. I don't care where you go to school, but get yourself in school, get yourself educated. I tell the guys now the one game changer to the fire service was the internet. You can go to school online while you're working and get yourself educated. Most programs give you a week to get it done. I had a guy that actually got deployed to Afghanistan for nine months right in the middle of class. So I froze him and he came back and emailed me, chief, I'm back. What do I need to do? Here's what you need to do. Take it serious. Get yourself educated. And you said it earlier, get yourself outside of your comfort zone, right? When I went back... When I went back to college, the, the, the Dr. Donald's like, it's on the blackboard. I'm like, what blackboard? I got a computer here, right? right? Like in my ear, there was really a blackboard. That's a true story. She's laughing. And I'm like, no, I'm serious. I, don't, I didn't even realize. I didn't know. I'm yeah, telling yeah. you, I didn't know. Crazy as it sounds. But oh, you, you, I, there's so much downtime in the firehouse. We all know that. Generally speaking, just take an hour of that downtime, one hour a day, to educate yourself on something and not necessarily the stuff that you always educate yourself on. Well, I tell people one of my classes to get my degree was a religious diversity class. And I actually had to interview different religious people and do a report. I, I honestly learned so much that I literally had no idea. And when I went into it, and when I ended the class, I'm like, oh, my God, I can't believe how much I just learned about the world, you know, different religions and what it means to different people. But and I was outside my comfort zone. So get outside your comfort zone and get yourself educated. It's so, so very important. And you will not be sorry. And and it parlayed into a great retirement gig for me. I, I landed right here. This is this has been the crazy thing here. They think I'm crazy. They go to calls and they leave the overhead doors up. <laughs> and and every day I'm like, guys, you left the doors up. And they're like, so what, chief? And I'm like, if if they left the doors up where I came from, there'd be nothing left. Sure. Literally nothing. Sure. So it's a different environment. So it th this has just been a godsend. It's meant, meant wonders for my kids some point <laughs> down the road. And listen, I'll, I'll ride this wave as far as I can. I love the fire service. No, I, I agree. And the love of the job is, I think, where it ultimately, what it ultimately comes down to. You got to love what you got to do or you got to love what you do. And, you know, when you love what you do, you never work a day in your life. And, there you, go. Amen. you know, I've been doing this 16 years, which pales in comparison to 40, <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> you know, it's, it's something I love. Uh, you know, I look forward to every day. I mean, that doesn't mean there won't be hiccups and, 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 um, uh, you know, some good days and bad days. And overall though, I absolutely love it. And the biggest thing I want to, or my biggest, um, thing that I want to push across too, is I, I love it because of the guys that I have. Right. Yep. My, my guys are amazing. Yep. They, they really are. They're a godsend and, and that why I love this job so much. So, um, you know, you make sure you're one of those guys that people love to be around and, and, and you know, want to come to work for. That's the ultimately what it is as an officer. You want to be the guy or girl that leads, does your job, you're dependable, and they, they know you can, they can count on you. And, and everything else will fall into place with some hard work and effort and uh, consistency. So. Absolutely. Absolutely. Chief, what's a good place for people to get a hold of you? Do you have any social media? I know I kind of joked about that a little bit before, but uh, if anyone want to get a hold of you, where could they do that? Uh, I guess the easiest is chiefglassman at gmail.com. 
but just because that's easy, right? And I don't even know what my Instagram thing is. I don't. You could probably tell better than I can. I literally, I don't even know why it just recently came up, and I'm like a couple of clicks, and I'm like, you're in. I'm like Yahtzee. I'm like yeah. I'm one of these twenty-three year old kids to, to school me, just like the blackboard story. You sure. get on the blackboard. Well, where is it? Yeah. You know. Oh my God, that's amazing. Yeah. So, <laughs> well, uh, the wheels go around, right? Yeah. Right. Uh, That's why you need them young guys. Everybody's got a role. It's like the little short guy, my buddy Larry Buckingham. We're, we're like best friends on the planet. He gets so beat up because he's like four foot six. But every now and then, you got to be like, little guy, I really need you to climb up in that little hole right now. He's like, oh, now you need me. Yeah. Uh. <laughs> That's it's funny. He's vertically challenged. Oh, uh, well, I know how he feels. I'm not quite that short, but uh, I, I get it. So he tells me, he says, short people have rights too. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> It's funny. All right, Chief, don't go anywhere while I close this while I close this out. Uh, you got it, brother. Have a nice day. Be careful. Thank you, you too. Um, everybody, thank you for your time. We're going to add all the contact information and the books that uh, Chief Glassman talked about in the episode description. Please make sure to like, subscribe, and share our show with your friends. Five stars are our favorite. They help us grow the show, grow our community. Everybody, thank you for your time. Have a great day. Tip of the spear leadership, be present, be yourself, be unstoppable. Thank you, guys.